Disney profits take a dive while the company continues to push a woke agenda. A transgender-identifying male beats all the women to become Miss Netherlands. The Biden administration pushes for inclusivity over ability for the U.S. military. And what has happened to the link between truth and reason? All this and more on today's edition of Truth and Politics and Culture with Dr. Tony Beam. It's time to crank it up. joining me today live for those of you who are doing that and thank you for those who have downloaded the podcast have discovered that like the best things in life it's free so you're getting it to your smart device every single day so you can enjoy it at your leisure um and thanks to everybody who visits the website i'm still working on gaining control which, which is uh, is interesting when you think about the fact that you get a website you think you just automatically have control but uh um, it's, it's a process, um, it's for me to become an administrator. So, um, and, and it, it's no, it's no big deal. I mean, the, the folks that worked on the website did an, an excellent job and they saved me money by linking the website that I have now to one that I had before, but I didn't keep the password for that one. So that's on me. And that that's kind of caused some problems, some issues with me getting, uh, to become, to be, the master of my own website. So anyway, we're going to we're going to get all that worked out probably by the end of the week and there'll be some more content up on the website for you to enjoy. It's drtonybeam.com. That's drtonybeam.com if you want to go. You can still go there to listen to the program live every day between 7:30 and 8:30. Today's program may be a little bit shorter. Um, I'm not sure that we're going to make it all the way to 8:30, but uh, we've got plenty to talk about, so we 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 may actually get there. I uh, wanted to say just a quick word about the All-Star game last night, simply because the National League won. What? Yes, that's right. The National League actually won an All-Star game, and, and they've been having some problems with that. In fact, their record since 1996 is 21-4-1. The, 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 the American League has been smoking the National League for a long time. So last night, though, Colorado Rocky catcher Elias Diaz hit a two-run home run off a of Baltimore Orioles closer, Felix Batista, in the eighth inning to give the National League a 3-2 win in Tuesday's All-Star game. The American League had dominated the Midsummer Classic. And, of course, as we said, they had their 21-4-3 record since 1996, and all this is coming from the Athletic. So congratulations to the National League. Of course, I'm a... I I I like I love baseball. I just I do, and I'm a big Braves fan, and I I follow the National League uh, closer than I follow the American League, and it's been uh, kind of a disappointment that they haven't been able to get their act together in the All Star game. So great job last night to to pull off a much needed win. All right, uh, let me give you a little preview. Friday, um, I'm going to spend a good part of the program on Friday talking about the biblical. Um, focus on sexuality. And the reason I'm going to do this is there's several 
articles that have come out lately that are people that are supposed to be um, have theological credentials and are supposed to know what they're talking about when it comes to interpreting the Bible that are going down a well-worn path of saying that the Bible doesn't have anything to say about same-sex relationships or, or about gender. And what it does have to say about gender, it, it talks about different kinds of gender. Um, it, it, let, let me just give you a preview. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible affirms male and female. We begin at creation with God created them, male and female, and it continues throughout the entire witness of Scripture. Now, that alone should be enough to put to bed any of this discussion about the Bible uh, being somehow in favor or having nothing to say, at the very least, about same-sex relationships. But um, that's not the case with a lot of people, because Christianity remains one of the big obstacles to the LGBTQ agenda just completely taking control and taking charge of our culture. And so far, the Supreme Court has allowed the principle of the First Amendment and religious liberty to allow Christians to express their religious beliefs outside of the church and in the marketplace of ideas and to be able to talk about it. So, um, but, but the, the onslaught continues, this, this idea that, well, we, we've got to undermine the Christian witness um, if, if we're going to push Christians out of the way so that we can make up whatever we want about gender and about sexuality, then we're going to have to undermine their authority, which is the Bible. And there have been plenty, I mean, it, it, so many attempts to do that, and all of them fall short. But we're going to talk about some of those passages that are considered controversial by some um, on Friday and go into a little bit of detail about what the Bible has to say about sexuality. So you might want to be sure and make an appointment to tune in for that, because this is one of the big discussions of our day. I mean, that obviously, the right to life, abortion, uh, is a huge discussion, particularly among Christians who believe that all life is precious because it's created in the image of God. But even beyond that, we're talking about anthropology here, which is the definition of humanity itself. Uh, whether it matters or whether it's valuable, that's the abortion debate. And what is humanity, male and female, that's the transgender and sexuality debate. So we're going to, like I say, we're going to talk about that some on Friday. And it, because it is one of the biggest issues, um, never thought that would be the case, but it's one of the biggest issues in our culture. All right, Disney's taking a dive, and a lot of people are asking the question, why? Um, House of Mouse is feeling the effects of a cooling-off economy. Look, there's no question that inflation and worker wages, which are not able to keep up with inflation, are affecting uh, Disney's performance right now. A lot of people want to lay it totally at the feet of Disney going woke, because go woke and go broke. I mean, that's the that's the, the mantra, particularly coming from my perspective, conservative perspective. But there are a lot of other factors that are playing into this. And so I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about all of them. Um, it, it's a certainly their full embrace. And I mean, a, a public full embrace of the woke agenda is hurting Disney in their theme parks, their streaming services, at the box office in particular, 
and it, it's hurting them in their streaming services and their series because they've introduced they're introducing uh, transgender and same-sex characters in cartoons that are aimed at children. And parents are demonstrating over and over again that they're just not ready for that. Um, they've trusted Disney since, I mean, they most people grew up um, in the era when Disney was one of the most trusted names in America in terms of entertainment. I mean, if you if you wanted to be sure that you and your children were not going to be subjected to violence or sex or some other kind of, uh, of, of thing in the movies that would be offensive, you go see a Disney movie. I mean, Son of Flubber. I mean, I don't know if, how many of you remember movies like that, but they, it was hilarious. Fred McMurray was actually in Son of Flubber. Um, and it, it's one of the Disney movies that I loved. It's, it's one of the ones that when my parents took me to see it at the one movie theater we had in town, we didn't have a multiplex. We had the Griffin Theater in Forest City. And when I saw that, they made a big deal about the fact that I was the center of attention because I was laughing so hard. I mean, I was six years old, but I was laughing so hard, so long and so loud that I had people looking at me and being entertained by me instead of by the movie. But um, anyway, that, that, that's the Disney of bygone years. Uh, Disney today has certainly embraced the woke agenda, and that's hurting it. But so, is, so, is their, so are their ticket prices and the fact that the economy is not supportive when you're talking about the effect of inflation on wage earners, I mean the middle class, and, and let's face it, the middle class and uh, middle to upper middle class has been the mainstay of Disney and their parks. Well, the, the Wall Street Journal ran a full article highlighting Disney's current difficulties, and they began by talking to uh, a company called Touring Plans. And I'd never heard of this company before, but apparently what they do is they analyze wait time on these apps that, you know, you can, you, most theme parks now, not just Disney, but other ones, other theme parks, you can get an app and it'll tell you what the wait times wait times are, and you can check in and uh, know when you're going to be in line um, and what the shortest wait time would be during the day, the longest, and so forth. And of course, you if you've got these fast passes that Disney offers that you can pay extra for, then the wait times um, diminish because you're using the fast pass. And there are people who would argue that wait times you have to take the fast passes into account when you're talking about wait time averages, because you can't just say that that means fewer people if more people are using the fast pass and reducing the wait time in that way. Uh, but the Wall Street Journal says that this company noticed that in 2022, the average time that visitors spend waiting in lines at Disney was 32 minutes, uh, excuse me, 31 minutes. In 2019, it was 47 minutes. And this year, now this is maybe the most shocking of all of these numbers. This year on July 4th, which is a, uh, is a peak time for Disney because of the big fireworks display and so forth, the wait time had dropped down to 27 minutes, which correlates with fewer people in the park. Uh, and, and then you look at some other things that Disney's doing that indicates that they're having some fair uh, some some fairly significant financial difficulties. Uh, Disney World's now offering up to 40% discount for Christmas bookings at their hotels. Now, that's 
normally a premium time that you don't get any discounts at Christmas because they fill up. I mean, people want to be there for the uh, decorations and everything that Disney does at, Christ at Christmas. So anecdotally, on top of that, you've got park season ticket holders. And you can kind of gauge what the direction of the company is by looking at the comments that they're posting on social media and the conversations that they're having because they visit Disney all the time and they say they haven't ever seen the park looking so empty. And that includes if you go all the way back to 2021 when Disney was still recovering from the park shutdown as a result of COVID. So this, this is significant. Disney depends on the income from its parks to offset the losses, for example, of their streaming companies, their streaming services. Uh, Disney's been shedding streaming customers for a while, and they're losing money in that area. So the parks and the movies, the films that they make, tend to make up for the fact that their streaming services are losing money. But there seems to be, the thing that's that seems to be driving all of this we would have to put it down to a confluence of issues. Um, let's go back to Bob Chapek. Bob Chapek, when he was CEO at Disney, he raised ticket prices by 9%. And the parks started cause, uh, charging for extras that used to be free, parking at the hotels, for example. Uh, when Iger came out of retirement to take back the reins of Disney, he said that in their zeal, this was a quote, in their zeal to grow, to grow profits, they may have been a little too aggressive. Well, uh, yeah. Uh, in fact, National Review decided to take a, to look, a close look at Disney ticket prices, and this is what they found. The Animal Kingdom, if you want to go to spend a day there, Ticket prices range from $109 to $159. That's for a single ticket. Hollywood Studios, all of this is single ticket prices. Hollywood Studios, the range is from $124 to $179. If you're going to Epcot, you can count on plunking down an extra $114 to $179. And the Magic Kingdom, which is where most people want to go, and some people just go spend a day at the Magic Kingdom. They don't do the, all the other parks. A lot of season ticket holders will just go and do the Magic Kingdom. $124 to $189 if you want to just go spend the day there. And if, if you want to stay at Disney property, uh, a Disney hotel is fairly reasonable. And I'm, I'm talking about a on Disney property, not a luxury hotel, but just a, 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 a nice hotel on Disney property because they're all nice, but it's $119 a night. If you choose one of their luxury hotels, you're going to pay up to $439 a night. And if you decide to take advantage of the Star Wars-themed Galactic Star Cruiser at Epcot, and, and this thing is, is pretty cool. In fact, it's way cool. If you're a Star Wars fan, which I am, what you, what you do is you pay for a virtual cruise. It, it, you go into this experience where for two days, it's, it simulates you being on a cruise with Chewbacca and other Star Wars stars, droids, um, stormtroopers. I mean, you're in the Star Wars galaxy on a cruise where you get to interact with all these Star Wars characters. But if you're going to do that, it's going to cost you $4,800 per couple 
or $5,299 for two adults and a child, or how about $5,999, let's just go ahead and say $6,000 for three adults and a child. Uh, that's a lot of money to spend a couple of days with Chewbacca and some droids. I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying, there, there's not a lot of people. You know, again, we're talking about Disney's bread and butter being middle class to upper middle class, and you're getting into a range here where it's getting to the luxury point where average people just can't afford to pay that right now, and, and maybe not ever. And when you look at the growth in Disney's ticket prices, National Review did that today. You see, you see what is real inflation. Now, I'm not talking about inflation in the economy. I'm talking about inflation specifically related to what Disney thinks their theme park tickets are worth. In 2013, if you want to go to the Magic Kingdom for a day, it was $95. Now, I just told you the ticket price for the Magic Kingdom today is $124 to $189. Go back to 2003, it was $53. In 1993, it would cost you $35 to go to the Magic Kingdom. And in 1983, it was $17. So we've gone from a day at the park costing about $200 per family to a minimum of $500 per family, and I'm talking about just one park. Forget Epcot, Animal Kingdom, and Hollywood Studios. Uh, if, if you're going to do that, you may want to think about taking out a second mortgage um, or just selling your house. And before you go to the bank, though, if you decide that you want to go to the Galactic Star Cruiser, uh, this cruise that I was talking about with all the Disney characters, you better go before September 30th of this year because it opened March 1st, 2022, and on September 30th this year, it's going to close. Uh, that's the equivalent of a one-night show on Broadway. I mean, it just, they, they were not able to sustain it because people were not able or, and, able or willing to pay the prices. Even though it was an incredible experience, it, it priced them out of their market, which again is middle to upper middle class. So... And then on top of that, I mean, the, the fact that it's outrageously expensive, you have a degree of dissatisfaction with the actual product. Now, this is before we get into the woke stuff, and we're going to talk about that, but, but fans who chat online about Disney note that the parks aren't clean. Uh, they're not as clean as they used to be. Customer service has taken a step back. Um, you know, when I, I went to Disney World, I guess it was 20... 18 uh, down in Florida, and we had a situation where um, it was me and my whole family, so the grandkids, they, and, and we, we had a stroller that somebody evidently either on purpose or accidentally picked up. We were, you know, they have a stroller parking when you go to a ride or go into a shop or something like that, and I can't remember exactly what we had been doing, but we we took the stroller and we parked it with the other strollers and we came out, it was gone. And so we talked to the to a park official and actually it was Disney security because the thinking was that somebody had taken the stroller. Well, they took us inside uh, a building, which we didn't even know was there because all of the support buildings that make Disney possible are are, are you would never guess that they were buildings that were like, storage space, office space, space where characters were changing, whatever. So they took us into one of these buildings, and they actually gave us a brand-new stroller still in the box. 
I mean, they just said, and thanks, you know, sorry that you had this situation. Here's, here's a brand new stroller. So that's the kind of customer service that people have gotten accustomed to. It, in fact, Disney puts on seminars teaching other businesses how to succeed by being excellent at customer service. And yet now some of that is kind of taken a step back. And then, of course, you get into the woke stuff. Uh, Disney caters 100% to the LGBTQ movement, and that has some parents taking another look. I mean, they're, they're, they're stepping back. Disney now allows gender-inclusive hairstyles and tattoos uh, from their park employees. Now, before we even get to the movies or the series um, that are, are including LGBTQ um, um, characters and all pushing that agenda. Well, let's talk about the way that employees look in the park. Videos have gone viral that show men dressed as women in the Bippity Bobbity Boutique. Now, if you don't know what the Bippity Bobbity Boutique is, uh, I'd never heard of it, and I, I should have, but it's a place where little girls primarily can get a princess makeover. And as you might guess, a lot of parents' idea of their little girls being a princess doesn't include princes standing around that look more like queens or like cast member extras from a Capital Hunger game scene. I mean, that game, it, it's, it, this is not something that parents signed up for. This is not what they wanted their children to be exposed to when they decided to plunk down the money that they have to put down for a Disney vacation. Writing for National Review, Jim Garrity wrote this, and I think this is a, a, a pretty good way to sum it up. He said, I cannot help but suspect that Disney's theme parks evolving into a luxury company catering to the wealthiest clientele in America and the world is intertwined with the company's evolution into an institution with an increasingly outspoken and direct progressive cultural agenda. If you're trying to sell things to middle-class families from Valdosta, Georgia, to Spokane, Washington, to Bakersfield, California, um, and to Topsfield, Maine, and every suburb and small town in between, you have to stay within the boundaries of the mainstream American identity. And you may well want to avoid hot-button political and cultural controversies entirely. And one of the one of the things that I would say, too, is you might want to be sure that you don't tank your lucrative movie revenues by putting out movies like Lightyear, Elemental, Strange World, and if you decide to make another live version of an animated hit, make it more like Beauty and the Beast and a lot less like Little Mermaid. In fact, the, the last eight Disney releases have been flops, uh, costing the company hundreds of millions of dollars in an arena where they're accustomed to putting out a movie and making a ton of money. And this, this is all piling up now. And, of course, Disney's been in this big fight with Governor DeSantis. They've lost their special status in Florida. They're having to pay a lot more in taxes. Um, costs are going up. Disney announced uh, earlier this year they were going to trim about $5 billion uh, from, the, the, uh, from the park's budget. And they announced they were going to lay off about 7,000 employees. And so this is... Disney's problems are not completely grounded in their woke agenda, but I can tell you this, I, I believe this is absolutely true. Without the woke agenda, I think Disney may be uh, struggling a little bit, but I don't think they're digging themselves into a hole the way they are today. And it's sad because 
if if you grew up in my era, I mean, I'm, I said this all say this all the time. I'm 65, and of course, back in the 60s and 70s, uh, Disney opened their theme park in California in 1955, and you know, it just the, the you on I think it was Sunday nights. Uh, we all sat down and watched. It started out the wonderful world of color, and then it became the wonderful world of Disney, and it was uh, Disney short. Uh, stories and movies and and clips from movies and uh, just and of course you had the Mickey Mouse Club and everybody wanted to be a Mouseketeer. I mean those those were the days and 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 believe me I get it. Some things in our culture are are better now than they were back then. Uh, thankfully and and by the grace of God and a lot of changed hearts, we've moved away from the racism of the 1950s. But a lot of the, the programming and the things that parents wanted for their kids to see and to be entertained by and to, be, and to trust, particularly a company like Disney, to make sure that they were going to see movies like Snow White and movies like Cinderella. Um, they weren't going to have to deal with uh, hot-button political issues as children sitting in front of a TV watching a Disney series or going to the theater. And if it wasn't for all of that, I think Disney would still be doing fine. They may they they would be struggling financially, um, like a lot of companies are in the in the environment with high inflation that we have now. But I don't think they would be at the point where they're having to lay off seven thousand employees if they hadn't um, just decided to poke their finger in the eye of their customers. You know, Disney. What what's ironic? Disney that made. A, a big part of its name and a lot of its profits based on customer service is basically turning its back on its customers. Uh, the people who have spent all the money to make Disney an incredibly profitable country, uh, company. But the change in philosophy, uh, the ability, as, as Bob Iger says, the, the, the desire to make more profits has changed the clientele at Disney and it's limiting the number of people who can have access in two ways, financially and philosophically. And if that continues, it's going to continue to get worse and not better for Disney. All right, a couple of more stories here uh, before, like I said, we're probably going to wrap up a little bit early here. We need to be praying for the people in China. There's a story out from Christian Post that was posted uh, two days ago, and it's it also appeared in Reuters. Uh, leaders of the Linfin Covenant House in China's Shanghai province have been indicted on charges of forming a criminal group and acquiring illegal income of approximately $108,000 in American money, uh, and the, the church has announced. Now, these are, are pastors, and I'm, I'm not going to try to pronounce their Chinese names because I, I would mess it up, but the, the, the point of this is is that the Chinese are beginning a major crackdown on house churches and underground churches. Um, they conducted a raid back in August of 2022 that involved over 100 police officers. And this is after the, the resident. You've got residents in China that are being paid by police or being intimidated by the police to turn in information on these house churches and underground churches and then they work up a case, and they go and make a raid. Um, so the, these pastors are experiencing sleep deprivation. 
Um, there and and there's a whole lot of other really bad things that are happening to them. The church and its members faced about uh, six months of repeated harassment by police in this Chinese province, and then it culminated with the arrest of the the lead pastors. And so this is these are in in the last two to three years. Uh, China has upped its persecution of religious leaders, and it's revised its regulations on religious affairs. And that, that, that actually happened all the way back in 2018, but it's just now beginning to have a, a broad effect in Chinese culture um, as the police are starting to get around to enforce these new rules and to put pastors in prison. Um, Mervyn Thomas, who's founder and president of CSW, called the charges against these pastors blatantly unjust, citing the coercive police methods used to extract evidence, including detentions and torture. He further called for the immediate release of the detained religious leaders, urging the international society to press the Chinese government to stop persecuting unregistered religious groups. In February, the Covenant House Church requested prayers as authorities prepared to resume their investigation into a fabricated case leading to the imprisonment of two pastors and a church member. Um, and, and then it just it goes, it goes on and on. Look, um, China is, is in turmoil right now because of the growth of Christianity. Um, these house churches and underground churches, unregistered churches in China— have been growing significantly because when people are under persecution, when their lives are being turned upside down by people who are trying to force them away from their relationship with Christ, then it draws more people to a relationship with Christ because it, it, people see that the authorities are coming after the church and and they see the the courage of these church leaders, the willingness of these pastors, instead of acquiescing. I mean, they could just say that they would stop doing what they're doing, that they, they would stop having church, um, they would stop preaching the gospel, they would register their church with the Chinese government, which essentially means it's an, uh, it, it becomes a, uh, an arm of Chinese communist propaganda. It, they would just do that, but they won't do it because of their devotion to Christ because of the changed life that results when a person comes to know Jesus. And their courage and the fact that a lot of the Chinese people would like to be able to go to church and worship as they as they see fit, uh, that that's causing a, a, a lot of people to come to Christianity in China. I mean, they're they're seeing in a revival, a revival of Christianity, a, an expansive growth of Christianity at the same time that they're seeing persecution. I mean, it, it's there are estimates that say that there could be as many as half a billion Christians in China in the next 20 years. Now, that, that, that'd be 500, close to 500 million. Uh, right now, that number's closer to 100 million. But, but if, that, if that were to come about... Um, that would be a revolution in that country, and the Chinese know this. Xi Jinping certainly knows it. And unfortunately, the Chicoms, the Chinese communists, know how to crack down on religion. They've done it before, 
and there's a major crackdown going on right now in China, and we just need to be much in prayer for these leaders, for the believers there, because it's costing them something to be a Christian. You know, in the United States, I've said this for years, the cost of Christianity is going up, and we're going to have to decide as, as Jesus followers what price we're going to be willing to pay. I think we all have to ask, our, ask ourselves that as the, uh, the persecution and the accusations against Christians continue to fly. You know, I, I, right now we've got a little window uh, that's opened of protection because we have a Supreme Court that believes in religious liberty. And so we're getting protections for the church to be the church, to be able for people to be able to preach, teach, and talk about the things that are most important, and they're not being censored or shut down on a grand scale like they are in China, but and, and mainly because the Supreme Court has been protecting religious liberty. Can you imagine if the religious liberty cases that have come before the court in the last several years had gone the other way. Um, I mean, if, if there were no, if, if the uh, ACLU and people for the separation of church and state and freedom from religion organization, all these organizations out there that have been aggressively coming after Christians, if the Supreme Court hadn't put up a sort of a force field of protection of the First Amendment around churches and believers, um, we'd be in a bad place today. And so how, we don't know how long this window is going to last, but while we have it open, we need to be uh, preaching the gospel as vigorously as we can, and we need to be preparing ourselves for the time when that window likely will close. I mean, I don't think we're going to have religious liberty in America forever. Um, we, we can Obviously, that's a political question as well as a constitutional question. You have to have judges that are willing to recognize the value of religion in a society. Right now we do. I just don't know how long that's going to last. All right, another study I wanted to get to today. Um, a transgender model has beat out all the women in the Netherlands to be um, the contestant that will go to the Miss Universe pageant for the Netherlands. Uh, you know, <laughs> I like the way this article at the Daily Signal starts out. It's by Elise McHugh. She is beauty, she is grace, and she's actually a he. Um, I, I, you know, these, this is one of the things that when I read these stories, I, I have to stop for a second and just think about where we've come in the last 10 to 20 years, um, how we have turned the truth inside out and upside down to accommodate uh, people who are living in a fantasy world. I mean, and, and this is really what's going on. Um, you know, the, the, what I just told you, She's Beauty, She's Grace, that's a variation of William Shatner's song in the movie Miss Congeniality, which is, is one of my favorite movies. But this Valerie Collet, I believe is the correct way to pronounce her last name. Uh, she, oh, first name is Rike. Rike Valerie Collet is a biological man. Now, this is a person who hasn't had any kind of transition surgery, um, nothing like that. They've just declared themselves to be female, trans, and he, she, was crowned Miss Universe Netherlands, first transgender woman to win in the 94-year history of the Miss Universe pageant in the Netherlands. 
And he came out and basically uh, came out and said, yes, I'm a trans woman and I want to share my story, but um, I'm also Ricky and that is what matters to me. He said on his Instagram account, I did this on my own and enjoyed every moment of it. So this is that we now have, and, and this is what I think should concern women everywhere. I mean, there are a few women who are um, well-known that are stepping up and saying this is erasing women from the culture, that when we begin to allow men who identify as women to take traditional roles from women or to take sports titles from women, to take now beauty pageant titles from women, I mean, if you want to see what this looks like, you can go to the Daily Signal and take a look at the story by Elise McHugh. Uh, there's a picture there of the winner and the runner-up. And it's just, it's obvious that the winner is a biological male dressed as a woman and that the first runner-up is a woman. You know, to answer Matt Walsh's question, what is a woman? You can look at these two pictures side by side and it's fairly obvious. But we, the, the, the question, the very question, what is a woman, should be changed, I think, in the culture that we're living in now, to what is going to happen to women. If, if transgender um, ideology wins the day and it becomes widespread, I mean, it's fairly widespread now, but I'm talking about beyond what it is even now, um, where you have, you just can, can completely erase the biological line between men and women, what happens to women in that scenario? I mean, here's a perfect example of women being put in a in second place, third place, fourth place, whatever, in a Miss Universe pageant by a biological male. And that should be very concerning to females. I mean, this is their identity, their uniqueness in in our culture, their uniqueness in humanity is being erased by this idea that biological men can be women. And if, I mean, this is, that's why I said earlier, this is probably the uh, biggest conversation that we're having theologically right now um, in, in the church and in our culture is what, what do we do about this question? Now, the church would like to focus on evangelism. I, I mean, I know a lot of my um, people that, you know, I serve as interim pastor at Five Forks Baptist Church over in Simpsonville, um, and, and I know a lot of my pastor, uh, pastor friends are, you know, are trying to focus on evangelism and discipleship, which is what the church is supposed to be about. But it's difficult to do that when we're in a culture where these broader questions are going on, they have theological overtones, and the church has to be has to weigh in on this because there's got to be some sanity injected into the debate over what is the difference between men and women, and is it biological? It is biological, but it's also theological, and I think the church has a place in clarifying and bringing God's Word to bear on this debate. Um, and a lot of churches don't want to do that, and I understand. I mean, it's look, it's it's messy. It's uh, It can cause—you would think here in South Carolina it wouldn't cause any controversy, 
but it actually it actually does. I mean, you've got um, some churches that are being that have been picketed over this, um, and pastors have that they have a lot of pressure on them. And I mean, they've got a lot of things that they're trying to accomplish in the life of their congregation and and follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Um, in leading their congregation. And now on top of this, they've got to step in the middle of a culture war and speak the truth about sexuality and help people understand that the Bible supports biological men and women and that that's the way we were created. And there's a purpose for that, not just for procreation, but for companionship. Um, and a lot of other things. And, and again, we're going to talk more about this. We'll I may circle back around to this story on Friday when we get into some of the of what the Bible has to say about this topic. All right, I want to move on to the Biden administration. I talked about this in the intro, and this is coming from National from Daily Wire today. And and I again I I I read these headlines and I see these pictures, and I I just I, I scratch my head, and I wonder how did we get here. We're, we're, we're good, God-fearing people just so busy out working, earning a living, taking care of their families, uh, trying to go, go day to day to day and live their lives that we just ignored some of the stuff coming at us so long that it's now overwhelming us. And I'm not just talking about the gender and the, the sexual identity things in our culture that are certainly doing that. But, but here's this story. The Biden administration opposes merit-based military promotions and wants provisions for race and gender. You know, the recent Supreme Court case um, that was decided that's turned into big controversy on admissions practices and colleges and universities where, obviously, race was given uh, a preference when it comes to admissions into colleges— they, when they ruled that, that that was unconstitutional, that, that you couldn't do that, that affirmative action had to go, they left the military alone. In other words, they said, well, the military is a different environment, which it is. Uh, the, the military operates for a different purpose, yes. Uh, the military operates to break things and kill people. And I know a lot of people get upset when I, when I put it that way, and that's a quote from Rush Limbaugh, but it's true. I mean, the military is our defense of the country. And it's not a social experiment. It's not a Meals on Wheels organization. Now, there's nothing wrong with, use, with the military engaging in humanitarian efforts where they can, but that's not the purpose. When they do that, they're stepping outside of, of what their stated purpose is, and that's to protect and defend the people and the Constitution of the United States. Um, but the Biden administration is fighting back against a new provision in the annual defense spending bill that would require military promotions to be based solely on merit rather than considering race or gender. And see, this is where we, if, if especially everywhere, of course, this is true, but especially in the military, we don't want race and gender considerations to drive people to the top leadership positions in the military. We want their ability, their record, their courage, their the things that matter when it comes down to defending the country. That's what's got to be on the table 
solely when we're talking about advancing people in their military careers. But that's not what the Biden administration, they say that it's our diversity that gives us our strength. The White House responded to the proposed NDAA in a statement on July 10th, outlining a number of provisions the administration opposed from the potential creation of a Space Force National Guard to the attempt to roll back some of the diversity, equity, and inclusion policies that Biden had enacted at the beginning of his presidency. The administration strongly opposes the House sweeping attempts to eliminate the department's longstanding DEIA efforts and related initiatives to promote a cohesive and inclusive force. Now, there should be one consideration when we're talking about the military, and it's not cohesive and inclusive. Inclusive. Cohesive, yes. But inclusive? It should be inclusive in that people who merit promotion and merit being in the military are certainly not excluded because of their race. They're certainly not kept down because of their race, but you don't, in and in, in, to the contrary, you don't promote them or recruit them because of their race or gender. Not if you're going to have an effective military fighting force, which you know we need the best people physically, mentally, technologically, in every way. We need the best people that we can find to be in our United States military. We've got to have the best fighting force in the world. China think China's trying to build an army that can beat the United States. And it seems to me that what we're trying to do is find a formula to lose, which is what you're going to have if you start putting people in positions for something other than the fact that they belong there because of merit. The DOD's strategic advantage in a complex global security environment is the diverse and dynamic talent pool from which we draw. We rely on diverse perspectives, experiences, and skill sets to remain a global leader, uh, deter war, and keep our nation secure. You know, they're also supposed to be able to make war when it has to be made. We don't, we don't want the United States military going around making war um, and, and getting involved in wars that we, where we don't belong, but we also want the military that if the need arises for them to make war, they need to understand that deterring war is not the number one priority. The number one priority for the military is to fight and win a war once that war is upon us. You know, I, I, I think I've told you, I've, I'm listening to the biography, one of the biographies of Winston Churchill, and it's, you know, audiobooks are great if you're riding around, going different places. I just listen to it when I'm in my truck, mostly. But it, it's, it's a fascinating, when you look at Churchill's ability to rally the British people at a time when it looked like Germany was just going to blitzkrieg the entire continent of Europe, and Great Britain pretty much stood alone and actually fought the British. The British people, it never entered into their mind that they would simply lay down in front of the, the Nazi juggernaut. And because Britain held Germany off long enough for the United States to enter the war, World War II ended much differently than it might have. I mean, it, it, in, the, in the beginning years, from 1939 to almost, uh, well, into 1942, it looked very much like Germany had created a war machine that couldn't be stopped. But it was, and it was not the equipment as much as it was because the, the Brits were outnumbered, they were outgunned, 
But they, they were able to stave off the invasion that Germany had in mind because of the courage of their pilots and the skill of the, of the pilots and the resolve of the British people. And this is what we have to have in America. We can't simply look at the military and say, oh, the purpose of the military is, is to keep us out of war. No, the purpose of the military is not necessarily to start a war, but it's to end one should it get started. Now, deterring war is, I, I can tell you this for sure, we're not going to be a deterrence to aggressiveness by Russia and China and Iran and North Korea by becoming diverse and politically correct. That's not what's going to cause the Chinese to take a break or to pause before they decide whether they want to take on the United States. What's, what it's going to do is our ability to wage war and the way that we put our best people in the most strategic positions in our military without regard to gender or transgender or sexual orientation or all the things that the Biden administration wants to gut the military with. Representative Jim Banks, Republican in Indiana, called the White House rebuff of the provisions. He said both the merit clause and the clauses repealing Biden's DEA initiatives, a badge of honor. He said wokeness is a cancer that will destroy our military from the inside out if we don't stop it. The merit clause that is in the appropriations bill, the defense spending bill that, that the uh, Republicans primarily in the House have passed, makes no mention of race and gender. It simply says this, a candidate shall be evaluated on the basis of qualifications, performance, integrity, fitness, training, and conduct. No determination may be based on favoritism or nepotism, and no quota may be used. Representative Chip Roy from Texas said, what we're trying to do is move to a colorblind, race-neutral worldview where we're focused on building a national defense and a military that is focused on, you know, blowing things up and killing people, not on social engineering wrapped in a uniform. And, of course, as we know, the Biden administration doesn't really share that view. They see the military as an, oppor as an opportunity to spread the woke agenda in the culture. All right, one more quick story, um, and then we're going to wrap up for today. Um, this comes from The Federalist, and it's Ellie Purnell. And the whole story is about misinformation and the fact that we're living in a world today where we don't really, we can't really deal with what's called misinformation because we can't discern the truth. You know, to know what is not true. You have to know what the truth is. And when, when you talk about people spreading information that's not true, misinformation, uh, you've got to have a baseline for that. And I just want to read a couple of these paragraphs kind of to close out today because I think this is, this is excellent. Um, for most of Western, Western history, philosophers and laymen alike have agreed upon the existence of truth as a factual concept but also a moral concept. Plato said, for example, true philosophers were those who were lovers of the vision of truth, which he described in terms of an ideal reality that transcended the imperfect reflections of truth, goodness, and beauty in the national, natural world. Similarly, similarly, if I can read today, Cicero believed in the existence of a natural law that could be understood via man's reason. 
And of course, Christianity describes the law being written on the hearts of men in similar terms and presents the good, true, and beautiful as originating from and being perfectly fulfilled in the triune God. The Bible refers to Christ as the Logos, the Word of God, a term closely associated with wisdom, reason, and truth. And elsewhere, Christ describes himself as the way, the truth, and the life. Now, this philosophy and understanding of reason and truth being linked together actually spread through Christianity and Greek thought throughout the West. And, we, and of course, we had an emphasis on that. And now we've jettisoned that when you uncouple facts and reason from a concept of truth, truth dies. You no longer have things that you can say are demonstrably true. You have to have reason and truth backing those up, being the foundation of what we agree is true. And we, we live in a culture. How many examples have we talked about today? One particular, Miss Netherlands being a biological male and winning a, a pageant over other women, which is, is designed for women. This is, this is an uncoupling. There's reason and facts have to be jettisoned to a, a land at something that a person would regard as the truth that would elevate a, bio, a biological male to the head of a women's beauty pageant. I mean, that's just... And, and, and if we don't gain this back, and, and the only ones that can gain this back, and, and I want to be clear about this, the church, believers, the body of Christ, because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, we have got to stand firm in what we say and what we believe about that, and we cannot compromise. That's another reason that the church has a responsibility to step out into the culture and speak the truth about abortion, that it's the taking of a human life created in the image of God. We've got to be willing to step out into the culture and speak the truth, that there is such a thing as male and female. God created them that way for his divine purpose, and that that is the truth. And if the church advocates, if we step back because that battle is particularly difficult or we're afraid that we're going to offend people, you know, I, I, I agree that evangelism has got to be the main focus of the church, but we can't abandon our defense of the truth and reason and facts in an effort to win people. You know, Paul talked about becoming all things to all men that he might win some, but he wasn't talking about abandoning truth and reason and facts in order to get there. Because without truth and reason, <clears throat> you can't make a defense for the truthfulness of the gospel, of the story of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, any more than you can make a defense for the truth in anything. All right, that's all the time we've got for today. Um, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up, but I appreciate you joining me for Truth and Politics and Culture. Um, tomorrow we're going to stay on track with talking about whatever's at the top of the news, but on Friday we are going to take some time to really get into this question of what the Bible has to say about sexuality, um, transgenderism, same-sex relationships, all of that, because there's a lot being said today that says the Bible either is silent or that it supports the idea of a radical sexuality that you just don't find within the pages of Scripture. God bless you. I hope you have a great day. Check out the podcast at Spotify or Apple Podcast or anywhere else you can find a podcast. You should be able to find me. 